let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, just dying on the cross for our sins. I thank you for your love for your people. I thank you for those who are here today. We thank you for the veterans, Lord. Uh, Lord, as your word go forth, I ask that it not be my word, but it be your word. That you empty me out as a vessel and fill me up with the Holy Spirit. That your word will go forth to your people. That we would have itching ears to hear and itching hands and feet to move about the world, preaching your gospel, that people may be saved and come right to you. So as we talk about walking in truth and we talk about walking in love, Lord, that these weren't just the words that we read in scripture, but words that we would embody in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So last week, um, JP was here, Pastor JP, and he talked about walking in the truth. He talked about how John gave us a warning about believing in false doctrines, about the Antichrist, and how to know what's false and what's not. So now this week, John gives us a different warning in light or in lieu of what the warning he gave last week, which was, you know, don't believe this. Don't understand when the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, but understand when this is a false prophecy, is that John was worried that because of the warning that he had given his people, that they would use that warning as a way to not love one another. That they would use that as a justification to say, well, I don't have to love you because you don't believe the same thing that I do. Or I don't have to love you because I think you're preaching false prophecy. And so John in today says, no, like even in the midst of disagreement, we have to love one another. And not only that, but it was, it's in that love that we know God. Now, you may ask, well, how do we love each other today? Well, friends, it doesn't take us very long to realize that there are people who bomb synagogues or send bombs in the mail. Or even just 48 hours ago in my home state of California. Um, actually, I lived in Woodland Hills. I uh, went to school in Woodland Hills, and Thousand Oaks is maybe a couple of miles from there where 12 people lost their lives from someone shooting up, um, shooting up that, that bar and restaurant. So we don't have to go far to realize that they're evil in the world and why we should love one another. But those who are in Christ that know God, the earnest is on us to love one another and to show that what that looks like. I am reminded of 2 Corinthians 5.17 where it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The same blood that washed away your sins was the same blood that washed away my sins. It has no expiration date. It does not expire. And it is open to anyone and everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but if that's not a reason to love one another and to love God, then I don't know what it is. Because that same blood that saved you is that same blood that John talks about that causes us to love one another. So in our passage of scripture, he's given us, John has given us three points that I want to make this morning. The first one we'll find in verses 7 and 8. God is love. And then 9 and 10, we'll talk about God loved us. And then we will end with love one another. You also notice that in verses 13 through 16 is the validation of God's perfect love. And that validation is confirmed through the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's perfect love. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 if you have your Bibles open. 
Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. So we're born into a state of broken love. Now we know this from John 4.10 when it says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. That we break the cycle of this. We break the cycle by not only accepting God's love for us, but relying on God's perfect love to work through us. When we receive this perfect gift, it transforms our relationship. So the perfect gift is God's love to us. How, did, how do we know God loves us? Well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he said, the only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So when we have received God's love, God's love to transform our hearts, both vertical and horizontal. So horizontal, our relationship with God should change when God's love is in us. And vertical, our love should change for one another, our relationships, because love transforms our heart. The greatest love story ever told was how God loved his people, that he loved his people so much that he died on the cross for their sins. He who knew no sin took upon the sins of the world. In the opening line of verse 7, John encourages, to, encourages one another to love one another and to practice that love. He demonstrates this with the first words of dear friends, or you can translate that into some version as beloved, those whom I love. So my beloved, John is literally saying, absent from God, there is no love. To know God and to love God, if you love, then you know God. Because God is the source and origin of love, and love derives from him. God is love in his utmost being. I want you to get this, because this is important for us to move on. For God to be love, look at, look at uh, verse 7 again. John's assertion that God is love is describing the very nature and substance of God. We get this about three other times in scripture. We get this in John 4, 24, where it says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. We also get this in 1 John 1, 5, where it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. We get this also in Hebrews 12, 29, God as a consuming fire. So God as spirit, God as light, God as a consuming fire, now God as love, describing the very nature and substance of God. One commentator puts it, puts it this way, God as spirit is a metaphysic nature while God is light and God is love deal with his character. Therefore, if God is light and God is love, we know this because we walk in light, we walk in truth, and we walk in love. 
But it's so much deeper than that. God who is love is light and fire as well. So God doesn't condone sin. He can't. So because God is light, he shines his light on us, which exposes our sin. I mean, let's face it. We all have sin and can show the glory of God. But since God is fire, it burns up our sins. It says God is a consuming fire. So although God's light shines upon us, his fire consumes our sins. But God is love. Because of God's love for me, for God's love for you, and for you, and for you, and for you, and for everyone that's in this room, we are not consumed by his fire but we are saved by his grace. There should have been a lot of amens on that one. God's love is perfect because God's love was sacrificial. God works against whatever works against love. Learning to love is one of the ways we are born anew as God's children. It is the hallmark of you being a child of God. He says in verse 7 and 8, if you know God, then you have to love God and love one another. There's just there's no way of getting around it. And if you don't love one another, then you don't know God. I mean, that's a powerful statement. There's, there's no way of escaping that. So learning to love one another is a hallmark of God's children. Learning to love helps us come to know God. Who would have thought about that? that? That the very people that we have difficulty loving because they lie to, about us or they lie to us or they gossip or someone at your work or maybe it's your kids or your wife or your husband or your friends. Maybe it's the pastor. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you that you have a hard time loving. But God says, if you love them, you're, you're beginning to know who I am. Remember, God loved us while we were yet sinners. A lack of love blocks spiritual birth and growth. Love is a sign of new birth just as much as righteousness. John says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, but whoever does not love does not know God. The implication is this that God imparted in us a new birth, and it should manifest his love towards other people. Perhaps we have a hard time loving other people because we ourselves aren't convinced that we are truly loved by God. Do you know that you are loved by God? It's rhetorical. You don't need to answer out loud, but just Think about that for a second. Do you have all assurance as you sit here today that you are loved by God? That something you've done in your past, something that you've thought about, maybe it's your lust, maybe it's your greed. You know, we all have our, 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 our sins that we go back to. I, I call them our favorite sin. We get this in Hebrews where it says lay down every weight that so easily beset us. Well, when you interpret that, it's, it's the thing that that we, it's our favorite sins that we just can't let go of. I get students all the time that come to my office and they say, you know, Pastor Marcus, you know, I, I don't do drugs and, you know, I don't lie. And then of course I say, well, thanks, you just had your first lie by saying you don't lie. But, but they tend to list all the things that they don't easily fall into. So then I ask them, well, are you, 
Do you do this? What about that? We go back, because we're creatures of habit, we go back to our favorite sins. And sometimes when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're in the church, but sometimes we still don't feel God's love transforming us. So I ask the question again. Do you know, can you say that you are loved by God? That there's nothing in your life that can separate you from the love of God? Well, there isn't. You don't have to take my word. It says in Scripture. God's word says not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not out of fears for today, not out of worry for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the heavens above, no power in the earth beneath. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8.38 Therefore, if you believe this, if you, if you truly believe this, you are loved by God, then friends, help me understand why we can't love one another. I mean, isn't your sins just as bad as the sins of the person you're sitting next to? If we are children of the one whose very nature is love, then we will be like our father and love one another. John commands, beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. It is not automatic and it is not effortless. It is costly. It should be hard. It should be challenging. But it also should be rewarding. And it will be pleasing to our Lord and Savior. And it will be transformative to your relationship with Christ and your relationship with others. Because God loved us, verse 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. Jesus was a supreme example of God's love. This refers to God's special love for his own. While the origin of love is the being of God, the manifestation of that love is the coming of Christ. God loved us, therefore we are to reciprocate that love to one another. It is how we respond to God's love for us. God has shown us his love in two ways, to bring us life and to pay for our sins. When we live through him, we can love one another. That means there is nothing that you can do in you yourselves to authentically love your neighbor. So absent from God, you can't love one another because you don't even know what love is. Think about this. No other act on God's part could demonstrate his amazing love. That's a fact. The very God against whom we sinned, the God who was able to either save us or destroy us, this God sent his only begotten son. So God who cannot be around sin, God who despises sin, God who hates sin, he could have destroyed us. But yet, by his infinite love, 
He has decided to save us. But it doesn't stop there. We gotta go to verse 11. Because God loved us, we must practice loving one another. It says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Remember the love of God in Christ came to us even before there was any spiritual movement on our part towards God. We must have a nature born from above that understands the wondrous love of our Lord and Savior. We show the best love to others when we imitate the sacrificial love that Christ had for us. How can you do that on your everyday journey? Think of someone right now that who you hate, once again, uh, uh, rhetorical, doesn't require an answer. <laughs> and unless, of course, you hate me, then you can, we, we've right to talk after church. <laughs> but think about the people that you have the most difficulty with. Think about the people who have hurt you, maybe as a child, maybe an abusive relationship, maybe uh, a coworker or a boss, maybe even a pastor. How do we show that sacrificial love towards those people? John's plea is simple. If you believe all of this, if you believe that you're loved by God, if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, if you believe all, if you believe all of that, we ought to love one another. If I shared with you of all the things that have happened to me in my life, living in the inner city, South Central, Compton Avenue, just, just crap for 18 years, I can guarantee you that this was a hard way of experiencing Christ, is to loving people who you really don't want to love. In fact, some days that, that love turns into hate, and that hate turns into want to take a couple of people out. But knowing that God's love is so much greater than the hurt and pain that anyone can experience is powerful. You have your own story. You have your own hurt. And yet we read scripture and we see that God tells us that we have to love one another. There is no excuse we can provide or to justify mistreating other believers in Christ. To claim a love for God and at the same time to reject and despise and mistreat those who are brothers and sisters in Christ is not right. There are people who have come and accepted Christ in prison that I know about. There are people who have come and they had an awakening and they have come and they have apologized. I even once sat next to a gentleman who had committed murder and he had did his 20 years in prison and I was at this conference, we were sitting next to each other and as we struck up conversation, um, he shared his testimony. And I'm thinking, man, this guy has taken someone's life 
but he has accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Who am I to judge him? So I gave him a hug. And then I also checked to make sure my wallet and keys weren't there. <laughs> I digress. Third, because we must love one another. In light of God's love for us, in light of the fact that God is love and God's love for us, in verse 12, it says, we must love one another because God dwells in us. And as God dwells in us, his love for us and our love for other people becomes perfect. God is made visible through the love of his people. John is pointing out that believers Love for each other is closely aligned with our experience and love for God. When I was a freshman in college, um, I, in lieu of the 18 years of being in the inner city, when I was a freshman at Seattle Pacific University, I went through a very rough time in my faith. Never denouncing God, ever. But felt that there was a period in which I didn't know if God loved me anymore. And I, I remember speaking to some of my close friends, mentors, and theology professors, and they call this the, the dark night of the soul. And Christianity Today, um, the evangelical Christian magazine, describes it this way in terms of the dark night of the soul. It, one, it provokes deep questions. Two, it is both spiritual and psychological. And three, it provides opportunities for growth. Um, most pastors or pastors throughout their, their life would say they, they have, have either have had an experience of the dark night of the soul. Um, sometimes it can last weeks, sometimes it can last days. But I vividly remember struggling with other Christians on campus. See, Seattle Pacific University was a, a, was a Christian campus. And I believe that since it was a Christian campus that I would be around other Christian believers. And when I had visited that school over the summer, I, the, the presence of Christ was on the campus. But my experience of being there as a freshman was, was none like it. And being one of 10 black people on a historically uh, Caucasian affluent campus in, in Queen Anne of Seattle. My friends were both white and, and brown and yellow and purple, and, and I, I got bussed to school, so I had friends that looked like me, and I had friends that looked all with, you know, whether they were ginger, whether they were tall or short. And so thinking that the people that I met in high school, and some of them weren't Christian, but yet were loving, I was perplexed being on a Christian campus with other people who profess the name of the Lord weren't that loving. So how did I reconcile the presence of Christ that I felt when I visited the school to the reality? And then I realized well, the presence of Christ is here, but as believers, we don't always have the presence of Christ within us. So many things that could have went wrong in freshman year went wrong. First, my girlfriend and I broke up at the end of my, my freshman year. Then my, uh, my grandmother passed away. Uh, then my uncle died immediately um, 
at 50 of a massive heart attack, just, just dropped dead. My, my roommate and I hated each other. He was from Idaho. Nothing else to say about that. <laughs> the list goes on. But needless to say, I had a glimpse of God's love for me. One, I stand here today, so obviously, you know, God still loves me, and, and, and even if I wasn't standing here today, God would still love me. God still loves you as well. Despite what you may think of yourself, despite what you may struggle with, God loves you. But what he is saying, what John is saying, we have to love one another. And we have to do it in a way where we, we it should be automatic in terms of when people tick us off, when you're driving on the, when you are driving and a car hits you and you wreck your car, you gotta show love for the other person. When you have a bad day at work because a coworker has cursed you out, you still have to show love for one another. When you come home and from vacation and your son or your daughter has wrecked the car, has had a party in the house, yet you can ground them and maybe even, you know, take away their allowance, their keys for a year. If it's my kids for a lifetime. But you still have to love one another. Even when the preacher or the pastor says something that you really don't like, do you stop going to church? Do you stop paying your tithes? No. You have to love one another. It's, it's costly. You have to forgive. You have, you have to create love. But, but by doing so, John says in, in verses 13 through 16, is that when you love one another, the, the confirmation of God's Holy Spirit is there. So you don't have to love one another alone. Because when you love, you know God. And you're known by God. And the Holy Spirit dwells within that love. This is the Christian life. It is to love God and love one another. It is our church's vision to love your neighbor as yourself. Because we have been born to love God. We extend love to one another through the love that God has for us. So when we love God, Jesus is there with us. When we are, when we are struggling, and as I, as I close, I'm going to ask Tiffany uh, to come up. But as, as we struggle to love one another, stay in that struggle. Stay, continue to wrestle with the... When, when, when sin is, is, is in you and you're struggling because hate is there and dislike is there and you know I know people who have been raped and molested uh, in my own family and as a, as a pastor I go to a lot of camps a lot and used to preach prior to coming here and at the end of the camp I invite kids to come for prayer and I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me who have been uh, raped by the brother or uh, been molested by the fathers or and they, they haven't told anyone because their family is afraid that, you know, they've been through the court system and they got counseling, but no one can know because they don't want to be judged. 
and but the person is that the kid is like 16 or the kid is is 12 they're in middle school and they're trying to wrestle with how do i love the person that has abused me where was god in that as a pastor i don't have all the answers but as a pastor i can let that person know that little child know that god's love is powerful and if god's love transforms even when we keep all that hate and that ickiness and that that guck that we hold on to sometimes in our lives and it's not until we see jesus that we'll clearly understand the horrors that some of us go through throughout our journey god doesn't say that loving would be easy he just said that we have to do it we have to forgive we don't have to talk to our abuser but we also know that we don't have to be victims, that we are victorious through the power that is in Christ Jesus. So I don't know what you've been going through. I don't, I don't know where your, where your journey is or the things that you hold on to in your heart. All I know is that the love that God has for me allows me to stand before you, to let you know that I'm loved. And through that love, I can love all of you. Through that same love, I hope that you can love one another. As, as we get ready to take communion later, the Bible says that we're not to take communion if we have all against our brother. And that many of us sleep because of it. Translated, many of us die because we take the Lord's communion in vain. God's love is powerful. God's love does not come back void. It will be with you today. It will be with you tomorrow. And it will be with you forever. Amen.